Well, uh, when I was young, uh, I attended Catholic church. And, uh, you know, I learned the rhythm uh, of the services pretty quickly and the rituals pretty quickly. I knew when to stand. I knew when to sit. I knew when to kneel. I knew how to look religious, even though I was thinking about my baseball game that I was going to be playing in uh, that afternoon. And uh, it so happened that my, my good church behavior caught the eye of this older couple who attended the church. Uh, their names were Carol and August. Uh, they were just a sweet old couple. Uh, and they came up to me once and, and they said to me, you know, we, we've noticed how well you behave in church. Uh, you know, what a good boy, what a religious boy uh, you seem to be. And so they gave me this necklace. It was a silver necklace with a pendant of, of one of the saints. I think it was Mary. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I got rewarded for, for what appeared to be a good behavior for them. And so uh, I know that they meant well, but, but you know what lessons I took from this, right? The lessons I took from it, well, if, if people notice my good behavior and it pleases them, well, probably my good behavior pleases God too. And the second thing I learned is that, well, People notice outward piety, and they give you stuff. Uh, so, so that's a cool thing. Uh, and I figured that if, if people give you stuff for good behavior, well, then God must reward good behavior as well. Well, that just made me want to be even better behaved in church, right? Kneeling with my back upright and, and appearing to be praying and taking communion and, and doing all the things that, that a good young Catholic boy would do. And I was great at, at keeping the rules and impressing others, and I could put on quite a show if I thought I had an audience. Uh, and so the problem, of course, with that is that uh, these outward actions are only that, right? Outward actions are only that. Uh, they don't reflect the attitude of the heart. And looking back on it, I realized that I had become quite the little Pharisee. I was quite a little Pharisee. Uh, and so I was keeping rules to, to people please, to, to see what I could get out of it, to see if people uh, would give me gifts and to see what I could get from God as well, trying to put God in my debt by my good behavior. Uh, but my heart was not right, right? And I'm sure uh, that in my little Pharisaical mind, I was looking down on other people uh, my age saying, uh, they're not good like I am. I, I sure am good. Uh, and, and that is a big problem. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because uh, in our passage today, Mark sets up this contrast between uh, the, the, the tradition and the performance of the Pharisees on the one hand and the faith of this Syrophoenician woman uh, on the other hand. Uh, and we've been looking at these contrasts in Mark over the past several weeks. Mark seems to deliberately set up these contrasts where he's showing faith on the one hand and lack of faith on the other hand. So uh, remember we talked about how uh, the disciples went out in faith on this mission trip that God sent them on. Uh, that was faith. Uh, but then meanwhile, uh, Herod Antipas is rejecting Jesus, not having faith, by killing uh, John the Baptist. And then we saw it after that in, in the apostles' lack of faith as, as uh, they're going out uh, and, and uh, the people are hungry and, and they want to send the people away. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So they show their lack of faith by, by not being able or willing to give them something to eat. And then in the same way, uh, when he walks on water, they're terrified. They thought they had seen a ghost rather than uh, inviting him into the boat. So that's the lack of faith. And then right after that episode, we see the townspeople coming on the plain of Genesaret when they land. And they're all coming, bringing their sick, and they're getting healed. So these contrasts between faith and lack of faith. And here, uh, the contrast is uh, between the Pharisees. Uh, they have strict outward performance, right? So, so their tradition and their performance, uh, and that's what God rejects that we'll see in verses 1 through 23. 
And then we see that contrasted with true faith uh, that the Syrophoenician woman exhibits, and that is in verses 24 to 30. So we need to be honest with ourselves about our own legalism and beg God to kill legalism in our lives. Because faith is not about inventing traditions, uh, inventing standards of purity and, and, and morality, and then imposing them on ourselves, and even worse, imposing them on others. Those things do nothing to change the condition of our hearts. So what makes us acceptable to God is not faith in our traditions and our rituals. It's faith in Jesus Christ that shows itself in love, in obedience, and in trusting Jesus with all things. So first we see our traditions don't earn God's favor, and, and this is Jesus being accused by the Pharisees. Uh, verses 1 to 5, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered round him, and when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? So here we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus and his disciples. Now, it says that they came from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that low circle uh, down south, uh, and Jesus is probably in Galilee, probably in Capernaum, because that was his home base, uh, which is some 70 miles north. That's a long way uh, to walk to go and try and uh, catch somebody in a trap or catch somebody in a lie or to scold somebody. Uh, but they don't accuse Jesus directly, right? They go to his apostles and they accuse the apostles of eating bread with impure hands. And it's not that their hands had dirt on them, right? Like they were playing in the mud. That's not what's going on. It's, it's a ceremonial uh, uncleanliness. It's ritual impurity uh, that they are uh, guilty of. And so uh, they were required, Jews were, to, to wash their hands before they ate. But what we're going to see here is that the Pharisees took this tradition way too far. So uh, Mark was writing to a largely Gentile audience uh, in Rome. And so he's got to explain this whole tradition about hand washing because his Roman Gentile audience would not have known uh, what he was talking about or why this was an issue. So uh, Mark uh, uh, starts to explain. And so the law, uh, specifically Exodus chapter uh, 30 and 40, required priests to engage in this ritual hand washing. And it was a quite elaborate thing that they had to do, washing each hand three times and then balling up the fist and, and washing that another way, rolling up their sleeves. It could take a very long time to do this. They had to do that before entering the tent of meeting and offering sacrifices. Now, the Pharisees, although not required by the Bible to do this, they adopt this practice. They take this practice on themselves and they do this not because of sacrifices, but before they eat every meal. And so they take this tradition of hand washing, uh, they adopt it as their own, and then they make it equal to God's commands in Scripture. And so the Pharisees just had a way of adding more and more rules and traditions to uh, the Word of God and then imposing them on others. And so this hand washing tradition that they had, the, the tradition of the elders, this became a test to determine whether people were holy and pure. 
And so they impose this test on Jesus. Clearly, your disciples and you are not holy because you do not adhere to the tradition of the elders. If you adhere to them, then you are holy. If you do what we tell you to do, you are holy. Uh, just like uh, that little boy I used to be, sitting upright in the church, obeying all the rules and all the postures, uh, even though I'm thinking about baseball, right? So it's this outward appearance, uh, and that is uh, what, what is more important to them. Outward appearance and behavior uh, trumps what is in the heart, in their minds. And to them, somebody who doesn't follow their traditions and their rules cannot possibly be the Messiah, and so this is how they attack Jesus. So the, the Pharisees, uh, here's the pattern. They adopt a practice that's not mandated in the Bible. Uh, then they raise it to equality with Scripture. And then they impose that, that standard on other people. And then they judge other people based on that standard. And so that is the pattern of legalism, right? We could, we could cite so many examples of, of how this works. But the bottom line is that legalists are bullies, right? They make these laws and rules, and then they, they make you do them or make you feel guilty for not doing them. And if you don't, well, you can't be in the in crowd. And they're saying to Jesus, you're not one of us. There's no way you can be the Messiah because you don't even respect the traditions of the elders. And it's not just hand-washing either, right? Mark notes for his Gentile audience, uh, at least those who are, uh, that the Jews who follow the law, uh, they do many things like this. So they have many traditions like this, like washing cups, like washing pots, like washing before meals. So here they are. Uh, they come all the way from Jerusalem, and this is the accusation that they level against Jesus. You do not follow the traditions of the elders. Therefore, you are not pure you are not holy. You can't be the Messiah, and these people ought not be following you. So that's the accusation. Now, Jesus is about to hold up a big mirror in front of the faces, right, to show them that they are the ones who are actually uh, the hypocrites. And so uh, let's look at Jesus' defense in verses 6 to 13. Uh, and he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your mother and Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Well, that is a scathing rebuke on the Pharisees, isn't it? So the Pharisees thought that they were being holy, but Jesus flips the script on them and says that they were actually being hypocrites. And notice that Jesus never even answers the question of why his disciples don't wash, why they eat with impure hands. Instead, Jesus called them out for their, their hypocrisy. In verses 6 to 7, uh, he calls them out by quoting from Isaiah chapter 29. Now, this word hypocrites that he uses to describe them, that's a word used of actors in the theater. They, they would wear different masks to portray a different characters. And so the word came to mean those who are two-faced, those whose uh, walk does not match their talk, whose lives are inconsistent with their profession of faith. And so for the Pharisees, 
uh, these rituals had clouded real worship. They were so concerned about the rituals that they, they had hearts uh, that were really made of stone. And so they followed, God, uh, they followed the rules, but they didn't love God with their hearts. And that's how I was back in church 50 years ago, performing rituals to impress others while my heart was far from God. So he quotes Isaiah first, uh, so that's pretty good authority. And then he quotes Moses uh, to give them an example of how their legalism opposes the word of God. So uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 are what are being referenced here by Mark. Uh, The Pharisees uh, had this practice of dedicating some of their wealth as Corbin. Now, again, the Romans would not have understood that, so Mark gives them an explanation of what that means. And so uh, Corbin uh, was another man-made tradition of the elders. A Corbin was money or uh, property or any possession that you wanted to dedicate to God. So this is how it works. Let's say uh, somebody pledges $5,000 to the temple. Uh, so that money is now holy. It's, it's set apart as though it's in a trust account uh, to be used for the temple. It's given to God. Now, the rub is that it actually doesn't need to be given to God. It just needs to be dedicated to God. That's what makes it sacred. That's what makes it unusable for any other purpose. So uh, this may seem like a very pious and holy thing, right? I, I've I have dedicated this money as Corbin, mom and dad. I can't help you. I'm a pious man. I can't give this money that I've given to God to you. Uh, The problem with that is twofold. One, often the money was never given to God. It just stayed in that account and and they used it for whatever purposes uh, that they wanted to. So that's the first problem. And the second problem is that their tradition contradicted the word of God. So Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land that the Lord your God gives you. And part of honoring your mother and father is to, to, to take care of them when they're in need. Uh, and so these outwardly pious Jews weren't providing for the basic needs of their parents that the Bible commands them to do. And so instead, they're following their own traditions. And so Jesus told them that that kind of worship is not pleasing to God. It's very hypocritical. And Jesus says, you do many things like this. So hand washing and Corbin. Now we have two examples of what they're doing. And Jesus mentioned many others in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the woes that he pronounced against the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. They were like whitewashed tombs, right? Beautiful on the outside, but inside full of all manner of uncleanness and dead men's bones. Uh, They were like the the inside of the cup. The outside looks all beautiful, but inside it's full of filth uh, and disease. And so they thought loving God was all about performance, which I understand because I was a young performer too at one point in time. And, you know, maybe I still am to some degree. And maybe we all are to some degree trying to, uh, trying to show how, how righteous and pious we are by the things that we do. But Jesus used the law, uh, Moses, and he used the prophets, Isaiah, right? Pretty strong, pretty strong witnesses to show us that we cannot earn God's love, uh, even with an Oscar-worthy performance. And so... Jesus defends himself and accuses the Pharisees at the same time. And now Jesus makes a very bold declaration in verses 14 to 16. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what are defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
So I, I just find this really interesting because he, he's talking to the Pharisees first, right? And then it's, it's almost like he you know, turns around and now he's going to talk to the people. But the Pharisees are still right there. They're hearing everything. So the nerve of Jesus, right, to stand up to authority like this uh, and, and to speak his mind and to tell the truth in the face of, of, of these people who, who uh, you know, certainly would have reported him to higher ups and, and uh, he was making trouble for himself. Uh, by saying the things that he said, but, but he spoke truth, uh, which is a lesson for our day, right? We speak truth, uh, and we don't uh, water down truth. Uh, Jesus did that. And so uh, Jesus is saying that, look, a person cannot earn God's acceptance by performing legalistic rituals or even by what he eats, but by what is in his heart. And so uh, Jesus upped the ante here, right? Have, have you noticed what's going on here? Jesus was you know, talking about their man-made tradition, uh, the, this, this hand-washing and this Corbin. But now he, he ups the ante to talk about food laws, which actually are included in the law of Moses. So, so this is the law. Uh, and so uh, keeping them, though, with an impure heart uh, does nothing to please God either. And so you can keep the ritual, but if you do it with a black heart, uh, just like he says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you, you know, the, the Bible says do not murder, but if, if you hate your brother, if you call him Raka, uh, then you are guilty of breaking the law. And, and don't look at another woman uh, with lust. It's not the adultery, it's the lust that's the sin. And so here Jesus is, is talking about the heart condition that we see uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and, and here. So uh, he, Jesus is talking about the, these, these food laws, Keeping them with an impure heart doesn't please God. Now, this would have had to have been absolutely shocking uh, to, to the listeners, right? Because uh, they lived by these food laws. Uh, and we know that because we see, you know, Peter uh, later on in Acts chapter 10 uh, has this vision of, of the food coming down on a sheet and it's unclean food and, and Peter won't eat it. And, 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 and the Lord says, uh, Peter, kill and eat uh, three times uh, before the vision was taken away. And Peter began to understand what God was telling him, that, that, that food is not unclean if it's a gift from God. So the people are shocked by Jesus' declaration. Who, who is Jesus to contradict the dietary laws that they had been following since the days of Moses? Well, Jesus has been telling them who he is, right? He has the authority. He's claiming God's authority, and it shocked the Pharisees and the crowd. But Jesus was not like the Pharisees uh, and the way they kept the law. So Jesus, you know, he ate with tax collectors and sinners, which really bugged the scribes and Pharisees, right? Uh, he, he, he probably came into contact with food that was not kosher when he did those things. He touched lepers. He touched the woman with the hemorrhage. He touched Jairus' daughter who was dead. All of these things would make him ceremoni ceremonially unclean. And Jesus insisted, it's not what, the, what goes into a man. It's not these external things that make a man unclean. Uh, outward performance without a proper heart attitude is sin. Sin comes from the heart. It's not because of what we eat. It's not about behavior. It's about the heart. And so Jesus is trying to explain these things. He gets, what is it, three verses that he gives a public explanation about this. And then he meets with his disciples in private, beginning in verse 23. Jesus explains, uh, when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart? but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. 
And he was saying, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So the disciples were brought up with the food laws, right? So, so they didn't understand. They didn't understand how Jesus could be saying these things. And Jesus, even though he knew that these men were steeped in Jewish tradition, he's still rather harsh on them, right? Are you still lacking understanding? Uh, are you still so dull, other versions say, right? That's kind of harsh, harsh language. But Jesus explained that the stomach is just a pass-through for food, right? That, that starts outside the body and it ends outside the body. It never touches the heart. But sin begins in the body, in the heart, and then proceeds from out of a person. And so it's what comes out of a person that determines whether someone is pure or not. And so uh, Mark's parenthetical statement, thus he declared all foods clean, that's not a quote from Jesus. This is Mark's later understanding as he's writing the gospel. He now understands uh, the interpretation of the events years ago uh, that happened years ago, just like Peter came to understand uh, after Acts chapter 10. And, and just like Paul in 1 Corinthians and Romans, for example, wrote against uh, keeping these food laws uh, if you're not keeping them with a pure heart. So it's food. Food does not defile. It's the condition of our heart. That defiles. And then Jesus gives this long list of sins that have nothing to do with food, right? These are all heart conditions. And so we're all guilty of some of these in some ways, right? Fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Uh, I know I'm feeling convicted. I don't know if any of you are feeling convicted, but uh, we're all guilty of some, if not all of these, right? And so keeping of the food laws or keeping of any ritual cannot compensate for this darkness in our heart. Uh, it, cannot, it cannot compensate for our sin, and our sin makes us unacceptable to God. But thankfully, we have a Savior who does compensate for the sin in our hearts. Uh, as Mark wrote this gospel years later, he understood that Jesus substituted himself uh, in our place and took the punishment we deserve for our sins. And those who put their faith in him uh, don't have to worry about whether they're saved or not. God has saved them by faith, not by performance of rituals. Performance of rituals will never make us holy, but faith in Jesus will. So what do we do about this legalism in our own hearts? Well, I think we need to re-examine our motives for every behavior that we do and be sure that we're doing whatever it is with the heart of worship. So test uh, whether we're doing th these things for, for our glory uh, so people will notice or are we doing them for God's glory? And, and we need to be careful that we don't become Pharisees just like I was uh, all those years ago. We know Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not without legalistic rituals, it is impossible to please God, right? That's not what the Bible says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So rituals and performance do not make us right with God. Well, what does? Well, as I just said, it's our faith that pleases God. And so we see uh, here in this passage this Syrophoenician woman who is juxtaposed 
uh, just an outsider, as outside as an outsider can be, uh, compared with these Pharisees who are supposed to be insiders. So let's see what happens. Uh, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. And yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. So Jesus uh, went away. He, he traveled to a town called Tyre. That's it in the uh, middle of the screen. About 35-ish miles northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, of Galilee. Uh, this is Gentile country. Uh, this, you're not going to find many Jews there. This is where the Gentiles hang out. And, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he had arrived. But as soon as he got there, people recognized him, which just goes to show uh, how much his, his fame had spread uh, over the previous months, uh, that he would be known in Gentile country some 35 miles away from Galilee. And so here we have this woman. She is first of all, a woman, second of all, a Gentile woman, and third of all, her daughter has an unclean, an impure spirit. So by any measure, uh, this woman is an outsider. Uh, the, the Pharisees would have called her a sinner because she doesn't keep the rules, the traditions of the Pharisees. She is a sinner. She is unclean. And the Pharisees would not have approved of Jesus even being in Gentile territory, let alone being with this woman, talking to her, and ultimately giving her what she wants. But notice how she comes, right? This is what we need to notice. She fell at his feet. And so immediately we, we begin to get the picture of what true worship looks like. The Pharisees, rules, rituals, hand washings, uh, Corbin, all this stuff. The woman with nothing in her hands falls at his feet, brings nothing to him because she has nothing to give. And so worship is not about hand washing. It's not about rule keeping. It's falling at the Savior's feet, humbly, boldly before him and trusting in him and not traditions. And in verse 26, it says the woman kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So she's persistent. She asks repeatedly. And that's what makes Jesus's answer seem all the more harsh, doesn't it? Uh, the fact that he says, uh, let the, let, the, let the children eat first, uh, and it essentially refers to her as a dog. Well, that is, that, that's pretty harsh. So um, I just want us to understand that, that when Jesus used the word dog, uh, I'm try not trying to make excuses for Jesus. That's not what I'm up here to do. Uh, Jesus used the word, but the word actually does mean little puppy. It doesn't mean like the wild scavenging type dog that you see out in the wild. So, like, to give Jesus the, the benefit of the doubt, uh, even though this is a very insulting term, uh, a lot of commentators say, yes, he was calling her a dog, but he meant like a house pet kind of dog, like a little puppy who was welcome in the house, even though uh, she wasn't honored uh, or had a place of prominence like one of the children. 
Now, that may or may not satisfy you. Uh, that's, that's viewing this in the best possible light. Uh, but the fact is, whether it's a dog or a puppy, it's an insult, right? And, and she's not in the place of prominence like the Jews are. And so what is this woman going to do? Is she going to uh, take that? Is she going to lash out at Jesus? Or is she going to persist uh, in her faith and, and, and not leave until she gets what she came for? And she could have been insulted by that. She could have been stung by that. She could have walked out of the room, you know, called him a name and left, right? But she didn't do that. Instead, she humbly accepted her place and she, and she received whatever blessing was left over. And she understood that Jesus had more than enough blessing to cover all the children of Israel and still have enough left for her. And so Jesus seems stunned and pleased by her answer. She passed the test. And he says, because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And notice this, this lady, she doesn't wait for proof. She doesn't ask any questions. She doesn't say, how, Lord? She doesn't say anything. In fact, the only thing she does is she gets up and she goes back to her home. And I just want you to notice also that as she says, yes, Lord, this is the only place in all of, of Mark that anybody calls Jesus Lord. And it comes from this outsider, this Syrophoenician woman whose daughter has a demon. Isn't that something? And so what do we, what, what do we look or make of this answer? Well, a couple things that, that I want you to think about is that when we pray to God, we can get discouraged when he doesn't answer, right? We, we keep asking. We keep asking, just like this woman did. So persist in your prayers like this woman did. Don't give up when your prayers aren't answered immediately. Uh, sometimes it's an issue of timing. We may have to wait for God's blessing. He's doing something in the meantime. And other times, it's an issue of testing. Sometimes timing, sometimes testing. Is her faith real? Is it genuine? Would she hang around? And she did. She hung around and she got what she wants. So persevere and trust God. So we see this contrast now between this woman and the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, the legalistic traditions versus this woman's persistent faith. And so legalism. Uh, none of us is immune to it, right? We, we all probably, if we examined ourselves, we would find that, that we do things and we think things that would amount to legalism. And I think the, the basis of this is that we want to earn our way, right? We want there to be something about us uh, that God must find pleasing. Uh, there has to be something about us that makes, it better, that makes us better than the guy next door, or else why wouldn't he pick me, right? Uh, or why would he pick me? We want there to be something in us. We want to earn it. We want to be able to say, look at me. Uh, look what I do. This is why I have God's favor. And so we invent these rules and rituals. Uh, you know, we do these things. Uh, and then we judge other people uh, by not keeping the same standards uh, that we do. And so we expect other people to, to dress the way we do uh, and to watch the same movies we do and to listen to the same music we do, to eat what we eat, uh, to vote the way we vote, right? All of these things we want other people to do. This is legalism. So we need to guard our hearts against it because legalism is a pernicious evil. It, it sets up comparisons between us and each other. And really, if you're going to compare yourself to somebody, compare yourself to Jesus. That's the only way you'll see how far, fall you short, uh, how far short, short you fall. You can always find somebody who's worse than you, right, if you're looking. Uh, and you can find people who are better than you. We never look for those people. We look for the people who are worse for us than us, and we compare ourselves to them. Compare yourself to Jesus, and then we'll see how far short we fall. So how do we guard against it? Well, uh, let's close by way of applications. God wants our hearts 
and not our traditions. And so here's a test that we can apply to examine our behavior to see if it's legalism or if we're actually doing things out of love for, for the Lord. So let's say you wake up at five o'clock every morning to pray, or you fast twice a week, or you give lots of money to charity, or whatever it is you do. Here's just a few questions to ask of your ritual uh, to see, is it legalism or am I doing this out of love for the Lord? Here's a question. Have I negotiated with God using my behavior as leverage? Do I say, God, I've done this, now you owe me this, right? Do we do that? If we do that, that's legalism. Ask that question of your ritual. A second, is my tradition a source of pride? Do I use it to compare myself to others uh, and exalt myself because of it? Uh, even good things, uh, even giving money to charity and, and fasting and praying, those are good things. Uh, but when we use them uh, to compare ourselves to others or for any other wrong motive, well, then it becomes sin. So is my tradition a source of pride? A third thing, am I making others sure uh, that they know how good I am? Right? Am I publicly broadcasting the things I do? You know, I get up every morning at five o'clock to pray. Do you? Right? Imposing our, our uh, legalism on others. So be careful that you're not you know, bragging about what you do to impress others. You know, God said, uh, you go in your prayer room. Jesus said, go in your prayer room so nobody knows what you're doing. If you do it in public, well, you already have your reward. Uh, so that's what a Pharisee does, praying loud prayers, wanting to be seen, uh, praying long and loud prayers, loving to be recognized in the marketplace, being given the best seats in the synagogue. That is legalism. So don't do that. And then another question, am I trying to impose my tradition on others uh, and judging others if they don't keep it? That also is legalism. We love to judge others for how they dress, where they go to school, whether they drink alcohol, whether they dance, uh, what version of the Bible they use, whatever. We have a million different ways that we judge other people. So if it's not in the Bible, then God has given us a measure of freedom in these things. So don't impose laws on yourself, and worse, don't impose those laws on others where God hasn't spoken. So here's the difference between tradition and faith. Tradition shows itself in outward forms that appear to be holier than thou, but really come from a rotten heart. But faith, true faith, is from the heart. Traditions result in bondage to the law, bondage to ritual, but faith results in liberty and freedom, right? It is for freedom you have been set free. Tradition appears holy on the outside, but faith is holy on the inside. And tradition replaces the word of God, right, Corbin, uh, whereas faith upholds the word of God. So the wrong way to find favor with God is through performance and through ritual. But the right way to, to obtain favor with God is to worship him with true faith. This woman came the only way she could, the only way she could, not with anything that she could offer, but empty-handed. And we're the same way. We have nothing to offer Jesus. Our good works are filthy rags. Nothing we do could ever put God in our debt. We are sinful. We are not pure and righteous like we might like to think. We're guilty of violating God's law, and the penalty for that is death. And all we can do is throw ourselves on the mercy of the judge and thank God that when we do that, he has more than enough grace and mercy for us. Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection provided a way for our salvation for everyone who has ever lived and anyone who comes, he will not cast out. 
But we have to come on his merit and not ours. We have to come on his merit, not ours. And that's what faith is. Faith is recognizing that there is nothing in ourselves, that we are not good enough, and we will never be good enough, but he is good enough. He satisfied God's law perfectly, and that's why his blood cleanses. Uh, the line from the hymn, Rock of Ages cleft to me, uh, comes to mind. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. Let that be a lesson for us. Let's only cling to the cross, not rules and rituals. It is faith. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what makes us acceptable to God. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you for showing us in such vivid uh, color and contrast uh, what is acceptable to you and what is not acceptable to you, Lord. And, and Lord, forgive us where we have tried to earn your favor uh, by the things that we do. Uh, Lord, where we have tried to uh, make you our debtor uh, by the works that, that we perform. Uh, Lord, instead, we just thank you for grace. Lord, grace is it's the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive, and, and we thank you that we have received it, Lord. It's grace that allows us to believe. Lord, it's grace that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit who has drawn us to yourself, that we can believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, and by his wounds, we are healed, Lord, not in ourselves, so that no one may boast. It's all about you, Lord, and may we glorify and magnify your son's holy name. It's in his name we pray. Amen.